You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, the show where we talk about everything, where the rules are made up and the points don't matter. Kind of like whose line is it anyway? Actually, a lot like whose line is it anyway, truth be told, because that show was improv, and this is more or less improv, improvisation. We are talking not off the top of our heads, just in a superficial way, hopefully, but extemporaneously, which is to say it is not all written out, carefully scripted, carefully edited. I don't think that the world needs more careful scripting. I think we have quite a lot as it is. I do think that we should be diligent. I do think that we should be self-controlled. I do think that we should moderate ourselves in accordance with what honors and pleases God and what loves those around us well. We should be asking the question of whether what we're saying passes the test as far as a few criteria. Is it true, first and foremost? Is it necessary? And that one can be wide open. That can be very open to interpretation, very subjective. And is it helpful? And again, that one as well can be up for debate. So this episode, before we get into the meat and potatoes of the main thing that I want to talk about, I just want to pull on a few of the things we've been discussing in recent episodes. Yesterday's I titled, Oh Hail No, and of course, very polite conservative Christian types are clutching their pearls. But of course, Hale here is the last name of Christopher Hale, the guy that I was responding to on Twitter before I got locked out. Uh, We are now quickly approaching 72 hours of my 12-hour suspension. We'll see how long they leave it suspended, maybe indefinitely. That's fine. The longer you leave my Twitter account suspended, the more it shows what the real deal is. So, by all means, continue exposing yourselves, Twitter, Democrats, leftists. Continue exposing yourself to my audience. That's fine. I'm not going to lose any sleep about it. But my having said, oh, hell no, I'm sure it rubs some people the wrong way. Oh, Garrett, why do you got to do that? Why do you got to be that way? You know that's going to trigger some people. And you're, you're kind of playing with language there. You're getting dangerously close to saying something that's not very polite, not very appropriate. Now, to be clear, and I don't know how many of you heard 
yesterday's episode where I talked more specifically about Christopher Hale. Not trying to pick on him or anything, but he's a big boy. He's run for office, not once, but twice. He failed to make it through the primary the first time around, but he won the primary back in 2020 and then lost the general election pretty decisively. It was like two to one, 66-33 or something like that against incumbent Scott Desjardins. But he's a big boy. I mean, he's photographed himself with the president, current president, Biden. I mean, he's, I'm sure, able to take some scrutiny. It won't be the first time. He's not just some common citizen that I'm picking on, so fear not. But if you checked out those episodes, the one where I talked about my Twitter account being locked, and also yesterday's, which I titled in a way that amuses me. I'm, I'm amused. Uh, oh, hail now. Uh, it's a playoff of his campaign slogan, which was admittedly clever, but I think my response to his campaign slogan is even more clever. Call me biased. Uh, but his campaign slogan was, hail yes, which is funny. I mean, if, you, if you've got the last name, hail, you might as well go with it. Might as well, you know, work with what you got. Uh, hail yes, that's what you want people to say when they vote for you. Well, I'm saying, oh, hail no, um, because I think all the worse is the idea that we could vote for a Democrat because he calls himself pro-life just because his Republican opponent has scandals. Oh, hail no. But I say that. I say, oh, hail no. And very conservative Christian types are going to say, oh, Garrett, that's just, uh, see, this is the thing that you do. This is why we don't talk to you. (laughs) If you could just behave yourself, if you could just be a good little boy and keep a cleaner, tidier appearance, we would totally get with the program, but you say things like that. Oh, and the Twitter thing, your tweet. Yeah, you use the word retarded, and that's just not a nice word, Garrett. It's just not a nice word. You you shouldn't be using words like that. You know that's going to be offensive, right? Right? And and I'm picturing faces, I, I won't name names, but I am picturing the faces of very sweet people that I know who are very polite. And I, and I don't say this to mock them or to put them down or anything, but we, we do have a genuine difference of opinion when it comes to propriety. It's a genuine, and it's not an accidental one. Some of it does have to do with the fact that I have worked in the oil and gas industry for a decade, and that doubtless has had something of a coarsening effect. But I'm just not convinced that propriety means here is the list of approved words and here is the list of verboten words. And I'll just say too, speaking of language, if you have an option to use the word verboten instead of forbidden, use the German word. I mean, it's just, there's something about it. There's some quality verboten. Right? It's like, ooh, oh, verboten, really? 
What are you going to do if I use a verboten word? But I used the word retarded in this tweet that got me suspended from Twitter. And I know that's a trigger word for some people. And I have explained, I think, quite enough in the last two episodes, if you want my rationale for why I use the word, my justification of myself. Uh, there's plenty of it. There's plenty enough of it <clears throat> without me adding to in this episode, repeating myself. If you want the justification or my rationale, you can go back and listen to the last two episodes. But for my part, I'm just going to move on. I'm not going to apologize for using the word retarded. I will explain myself and assure you, I mean no disrespect to anyone with special needs, anyone who has family with special needs. But it is a funny thing. It is a funny thing to me that on the one hand, we can have people who follow the word lists perfectly. They never use the verboten words and they always use the approved words. And that's no guarantee of virtue, nor is it even a reasonable assurance. In fact, my real concern, and this could be a fault of mine, and it bears reflection, it bears consideration, but my real concern is that I would give myself over to something that's really arbitrary that sometimes gets in the way of clear communication. Now, you take, for instance, Jesus calling out the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the gospel accounts. He calls them some pretty unpleasant things. The religious establishment in Jesus' day is very correct, by contrast. They're very outwardly correct, and yet one of the things that Jesus rebukes them for is being whitewashed tombs. Well, that's not a very nice thing to say. That's the kind of thing that might get you kicked off of Twitter, actually, as a matter of fact. Whitewashed tombs. What do you mean by that, Jesus? Well, what I mean is that outwardly they are clean and bright and beautiful. Inside, they're just dead men's bones. That's what I mean. Oh, wow. That's. Don't you think that's a little strong? No, actually. I think it's appropriate. Next question. And and I say that, but you know, I it's a it's an honest disagreement with folks who are very prim and proper in their word lists. Uh, I mean no disrespect. We genuinely have a disagreement, and you could be more correct than I am, depending on the specific case. It could be that sometimes I am just uh, I, I am off the reservation, as it were. But at least my position, my honest position, even if it's mistaken, and it could be, and I want to change my mind as soon as I realize that it is, but I haven't yet. Uh, my honest position is in the absence of a approved word list and a verboten word list from the scriptures, I really don't think God is concerned first and foremost, chief most, with our vocabulary, I think he's concerned first and foremost with our intent. What are we intending to communicate? And yes, you're absolutely right. We can intend to communicate a respect for people we disagree with, we disapprove of. We can show gentleness and respect as we give an answer to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that lies within us. 
We can and we should, and we are called to. We're commanded to. We're not just called, not just encouraged, we're commanded. But there is a world of difference. And we see this highlighted when Jesus is asked a question that is not an entrapping question on the one hand. And it's just a, it's a question born of confusion and lack of knowledge and good faith, right? We genuinely want to know the answer to this question. We're, we really trust you and we know that you know. And then Jesus answers in such and such a fashion. There's a difference, a huge world of difference in how Jesus responds to those kinds of questions and how Jesus responds when the narrative tells us that the question was meant to trap him. When it's a question in bad faith because the religious leaders were trying to destroy him publicly, embarrass him, make him look ridiculous, get him to say something that was going to get him, um, if you will, canceled. And in the one case, Jesus is very patient. He sometimes offers a corrective and a chide. But in the other case, he is very stern. He's very direct. And not only does he rebuke very often those who are behind those entrapping questions and their motives, but he warns the public about those people. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will in no ways inherit the kingdom of heaven. Ooh, ouch. Whoo. Brutal, but also effective. And sometimes that's what you need. Sometimes what you need is brutal, but effective. So enough about that. We're going to play another game with language in this episode. Uh, Imagine with me, if you will, imagine that you are playing Wheel of Fortune. I grew up watching Wheel of Fortune, Pat Sajak. Uh, what was her name? What was the gal who did the flipping of the letters? Uh, uh, white. Um, oh, well, what I, I, I've told you before, I'm not so good with the names. Uh, not Dana White. Was it Dana White? Someone tell me, or I'll look it up. Actually, I'll look it up. I'm sitting at a computer right now. Why don't I just, elevator music. Dana White. Nope, it's not Dana White. That is definitely not. Funny thing. Okay, so Dana, for some, this is, this is why I try to avoid using people's names uh, when I'm not 100% sure. So Dana White is actually the president of the uh, Ultimate Fighting Championship and a dude, uh, a, a large, muscular, shaved-headed, middle-aged dude. Uh, it definitely definitely was not I mean I I say that as soon as I say that who knows Uh, these days it might have been the same person and the surgeon's just Vanna Vanna White ah okay so it's 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 pretty close right Dana White Vanna White just uh, one more or less of the letter N and a V instead of a D, or a D instead of a V. Too funny. Anyway, uh, Vanna White, it should be noted, 
very different optics very very different than Dana White fun fact but imagine with me suppose you are playing Wheel of Fortune and there's some killer memes these days uh, better and better as we go of someone having it up on the board and you know, there's a couple of letters missing and you've got the clue, right? Because that's how, for those of you who are younger, who maybe have never seen Wheel of Fortune, you've got the clue, which is supposed to tip you off. And then you and two other contestants take turns guessing letters. And then as more and more letters show up on the word puzzle, it gets to be clearer and clearer uh, what the answer might be. And so then it's a race, right? It's a, it's a race between the three contestants to see who can guess the complete answer the fastest based on the clue, based on the letters that are up there. And the earlier you can do this, the, the better it is. But there have definitely been people who have bombed like super obvious uh, phrases. And of course, they get just mocked relentlessly, right? But you come to some of these recent headlines, like for instance, Katanji Brown Jackson. And I saw a meme the other day of her playing Wheel of Fortune, you know, photoshopped, of course. And I believe it was uh, W-M-A-N, and the clue was what is a woman, or what is, or something, something like that. And she was just like looking confused. Like she couldn't quite get it. It might have been a Babylon B article. I don't quite remember. But you know, there's there's definitely there's just memes aplenty. But suppose with me, suppose you are a contestant and I'm getting to choose the phrase you're going to have to guess. And the clue is Democrats. Okay, the clue is Democrats. And you have solved this puzzle enough to where the first letter is blank, but you've got the first word, H, so blank, H-A-K-I-N-G, new word, H-A-N-D, blank, A-N-D, new word, K-I blank blank I-N-G new word B-A-B-I-E blank I think I spelled that right. I was trying to picture it in my head as I was going. So so if you're with me so far, right? That, that you know the clue is Democrats and and would you like to solve the puzzle? And, and let's say you, you're feeling good about it, right? You, you're, you're up, you're feeling good about it, and you're going to guess shaking hands and kissing babies. And you look excited, you're feeling confident, right? Oh, of course, that's what it's got to be, right? The crowd's going wild, your friends and family in the audience are just, yeah, right, oh, man, that's great. 
you've got it, right? $10,000 or whatever the prize is. And I'm playing Pat Zajac, and I allow for a dramatic pause and allow the applause to die down and the cheering to die down, and I get a look on my face, and I'm holding the cards, and I kind of tilt my head to the side and purse my lips, and I have a pitying look towards you. And I say, no, I'm sorry. Sorry, that is not the right answer. Next. And one of your fellow contestants is going next. And they say, I'd like to solve the puzzle. And I say, okay, go for it. And they say, shaking hands and killing babies. And there's a gasp, audible gasp from about half the audience. (gasps) Right? What a scandalous thing to guess. It's terrible, awful. Horrible, no good. But remember, the clue is Democrats. And I smile, a sad kind of smile, and I nod my head. Yes, that's right. You did it. Right. Now, of course, that's not going to play out in such a way on Wheel of Fortune. I don't think. I'll be surprised if it does. It would immediately get the show taken off the air after all these years. How many seasons are they up to? Wheel of Fortune. First episode aired January 6, 1975. That's crazy. Number of episodes syndicated over 7,000 as of May 31st, 2019. Presented by host Chuck Woolery, Pat Sajak, Rolf Benirsky. Bob Gone, hostesses Susan Stafford, Vanna White. Goodhousekeeping.com informs us that the age requirement is 18. You have to be 18 to play. Created by Merv Griffin. Networks ABC, CBS, NBC, TRT1, TNT. So it's been on a long time. 7,000 episodes? That's insane. It's a lot of word games. But I guarantee you, if they ever had that as a word puzzle, that would be the end of the show. Right? They would just, okay. Uh, curtains. Now, I say that that could be the correct answer to the puzzle. Shaking hands and killing babies. In part because yesterday I did an episode on Christopher Hale. And not to pick on him too much. He says he's a pro-life Democrat. And I... I do find fault with him for being a Democrat, but I don't find fault for him being a pro-life Democrat. If only all Democrats were pro-life, wouldn't that be a wonder? I don't think they'd be Democrats anymore, but that'd be all right. Anyway, you slice it. But he styles himself a pro-life Democrat. And he literally does. He, He kisses a baby. I couldn't believe it. I laughed out loud. He literally kisses a baby in his campaign ad for the 2020 election. But I thought to myself yesterday as I was recording that episode about who he is and our back and forth, brief, brief back and forth. He, you know, he tweeted, I guess I haven't gotten any fourth. I tweeted back. The closest to fourth I've gotten has been, I'm coming up on my fourth day of being suspended from Twitter. (laughs) 
But really, I mean, that, that is the difference between Republicans and Democrats in terms of their party platforms, in terms of what it is that they support and advocate and defend and consider uh, worth fighting for. That's the number one difference in my mind. That is a huge distinction between Democrats and Republicans. Republicans are about shaking hands and kissing babies, and Democrats are about shaking hands and killing babies. That, that's what it is for me. I know there's more to it. I know there are other issues. Uh, call me a single-issue voter, if you will, but that's a litmus test. And, of course, it's not <clears throat> foundational. It's built on one foundation or the other, but it's indicative of which foundation the two parties are built on. In the one hand, you have this conviction that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And I was just recently reading an essay by Joseph Crampton, and I've talked about this recently, a few weeks back, in which he was exploring Thomas Jefferson's, primarily, not solely, but primarily Thomas Jefferson's write-up that became eventually that signature phrase. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable or unalienable rights. And I didn't know this, except thanks to the Honorable Mr. Crampton. But that phrase was initially mocked back in Europe, probably here in the United States as well, especially by loyalists. But it was mocked, and the question was asked, in what way are all men created equal? Are they all equally fast, equally strong, equally smart, equally well-bred, equally well-educated? How, how are all men created equal? Well, there's an answer to the question, and it has everything to do with the fact that all men are equally created in the image of God. That is an equalizing feature, and that really is the basis for equal protection under the law and due process. And it flies in the face of the idea which was at the heart of the divine right of kings. The king is more equal. <laughs> Some of us are more equal than others. No, no, no. We are all equally created in the image of God. We are all equal in the sense that we will all die. It is appointed once for a man to die, then comes the judgment. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for first and foremost what we did with the Son of God, but second, what our relationship to God is. And the second is predicated on the first. So that's a big deal, right? That's not a minor thing. That's a big deal, actually. And what we have in America is we have two parties filled with imperfect human beings, with divergent opinions, perspectives, biases, interests, motives. So you can have a pro-life Democrat, as they consider themselves. I'd like to know how he would vote with regards to ending abortion, abolishing abortion, by the way. Hopefully, pro-life Democrat is not just playing word games. 
Well, I'm personally against abortion. I would never get an abortion myself or ask my wife or any woman to. But I can't impose my morality on others. Uh, the hell you can't. That's what legislation is. That's the, that's the whole point of legislation. Absolutely, you can impose morality on people. What do you think it means when you send law enforcement out to stop someone from committing an armed burglary? What, what do you think it is when you send law enforcement out to arrest an accused rapist? What do you think it is when you put a drug dealer behind bars for eliminating his competition through violence? I mean, all of that is imposing morality on people who don't agree with that morality, who don't feel bound to that morality. You're saying, no, 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 no. What you're doing is wrong to people who have shrugged by their conduct, have demonstrated, eh, is it though? Is it a big deal? I don't care. Either it is and I don't care or it isn't. It's totally justified. Well, so also, I mean, you're imposing a morality. Take, for instance, in the case of Twitter having suspended my account, right? Now, whether you agree with my sentiment or you don't, whether you like it or you don't, we all should have to agree that Twitter has said my statement fails a certain morality test, right? There's something immoral and untoward about my tweet in question. And it's a curious thing that they're, they're saying that their Twitter rules have been violated in that I'm either facilitating the transactions or I'm buying and selling illegal or certain regulated goods and services on their platform in that tweet somehow. Okay, well, you're basically saying that it's wrong to do that, right? Now, it's funny, and, and here I'll put another plug in, and it's a genuine heartfelt promotion for this Herman Bovink book that I am editing, making really good progress, should be done before I go back to work the day after tomorrow, but... This Herman Bovink book, The Christian Philosophy of Science, deals at great length with the trouble that comes from treating the humanities, which are just, in case you're unfamiliar, don't remember, at least language, philosophy, literature, art, and history. Depending on what list you go off of, there can be others as well. But he talks about the trouble with insisting on an empirical or historiographical approach to the humanities. Now, if we approach, let's say, religion and art and law and morality and ethics purely from a descriptive historical standpoint like we're not going to offer any value judgments we're not going to say which is more true than the other we're just going to say they're all equally true it really just depends on your context and what people are feeling at the moment 
if we're going to say that kind of a thing, eventually what we'll find is that there is no more right and wrong, true and false. Everything's going to fall apart. Society itself, civilization itself will come apart at the seams. And I'll read for you a quote here from Bavink. I just sent this to my neighbor two houses down yesterday. I think it fits the discussion of the moment. And I quote, The only force Clavel proclaims which has the privilege of demanding faith and obedience is science. It must prescribe on the basis of facts what is good for the family, the nation, and humanity as a whole. If society is benefited more by lies than by truth, these two would have to swap places because mankind does not exist for the sake of truth, but truth for the sake of mankind, from whom and through whom it exists. The timelessness of moral principles consists only in becoming timeless by the hand of man. And in order to ensure obedience to dictates, the state has to enforce it by means of violence. This is the result of the application of positivism to the humanities, which leads not only to undermining the very foundations of human life, but also to a type of scientific hierarchy, which seriously threatens our liberties. Now, end quote, take what I just read there and examine the response to COVID. For that matter, examine the confirmation hearings for Biden's nominee to the Supreme Court to replace Justice Stephen Breyer. Can you define what a woman is? I'm sorry, I can't. I'm not a biologist. Okay. Well, there you have it. The application of positivism to the humanities leads not only to undermining the very foundations of human life, but also to a type of scientific hierarchy which seriously threatens our liberties. Take, for instance, questioning the quote-unquote science online. Even if you're a scientist, even if you're a medical professional, even if you're a doctor, even if you have patents, even if you are world-renowned, it does not matter. There's a scientific hierarchy which you have just tumbled down the slope of to the bottom. And there are men waiting to bury you there. You're not free to question. See, this is the trouble, is that nature abhors a vacuum. Horror vacui in the Latin. Nature abhors a vacuum. Picture here, the far side comic I posted to Facebook here the other day. You can go check it out. I think it's publicly visible. The woods were dark and foreboding, and Alice sensed that sinister eyes were watching her every step. Worst of all, she knew that nature abhorred a vacuum. And it's especially funny because she's got those Larson big eyes, like she's freaking out. She's got the weird-shaped body and the hair that's like up in the 1950s-style beehive hairdo as she's walking down this path through the dark woods literally pushing a vacuum cleaner it's very funny but nature abhors a vacuum and that's not quite as funny when it comes to trying to subjectivize everything insisting that there is no such thing as an absolute now what's interesting and again you you really do need to buy this book you need to read it Recommend it to your friends, especially your friends who are in academia, 
who are doing science, who are into theology, who are pastors, ministers, laymen, professors, anybody, really. This, this affects all of us, truly, inside and outside the church. But one of the other quotes I shared with my neighbor two houses down here recently, he says, and I quote, There is no problem with acknowledging the relativity of our knowledge as long as we do not use this to deny the existence of the absolute. And that's just another way of saying, it's okay to admit that you don't know everything, that your knowledge is partial. We know in part, we prophesy in part, we see now as through a glass dimly, but then we will see face to face. Paul writes in Corinthians, we will know even as we are fully known, but that time is not yet. We are not there yet. Our knowledge, no matter how advanced science is, think of this, it is so specialized and it is so broad. I mean, I have a podcast here. You're listening to this podcast, which is literally about everything. My name's Gary Ashley Mullen. I want to talk about everything. Well, that's a very broad subject, everything. You think you should narrow it down? Well, no, actually. But as Boffink points out, once you start getting into these very specialized sciences, you studying them, is, and these are my words, not his, I'm paraphrasing, but there's an opportunity cost. You studying that subject so in-depth means that you're not studying all these other subjects. So however much the accumulation of knowledge is, it's almost like a giant mountain of gold that you're never going to spend. You're never going to be able to search it all out. You're never going to be able to make use of all of it. There's a funny phrase that comes to mind here. You can't have everything. Where would you put it? So also with science. You know, it was one thing at the beginning of human history, as Genesis records, people lived for centuries, and science is trying to figure out how to bring us back to that, how to get us back to the point where you can reverse, stall, at least slow the aging process, and then people can live for centuries again. Now, they don't think of it in terms, or they don't argue at least in terms of trying to get back to pre-flood lifespans, longevity, antediluvian, as it's also known. But that's what it is. I mean, that's what's in their hearts. And who could blame them? That'd be cool. I, I think it'd be cool. Disney's recent Jungle Cruise movie was stupid on this point. Dwayne Johnson's character wants to die because several hundred years, 500 years, he's done it all now. No, no, you haven't. That's dumb. That's stupid. Stop trying to push your latent desire to euthanize your elderly parents because you don't want to be bothered by them anymore. Knock it off. We used to live for centuries. We used to live for hundreds of years. We were made to live forever. We are made to live forever. And for Christians, we have the hope. This is our hope. The resurrection of the dead to eternal life. Ruling and reigning with Christ. Worshipping him forever. But as it is right now, 
we live for a few decades, maybe 10, if you're really spry. And so how much knowledge can you accumulate? And then also too, how much can you retain? How much do you understand? Not just are you physically alive, but are you with it? Are you firing on all cylinders? Are you retaining all of that? Well, no, you're not. Because just like your body is not working the way that it was originally designed to because of the cumulative effects of sin on our genetics, so also your brain doesn't retain like it used to. And all the more, our brains don't store information like they used to as we rely increasingly on technology. These smartphones, in some sense, have made us dumber because our brains just don't retain things, don't keep those things in the memory banks like they used to because we just figure out, well, if I need to know that again, remind myself again, I'll just look it up again. Easy, simple. I don't need to remember that. Cool, I'm going to forget about it. Ancient peoples had no such luxury. And in some sense, maybe they were the better for it. Maybe they were smarter than we are. And we, in our hubris, in our arrogance, in our positivistic assumptions, like fish in water who don't realize we're wet, assume a superiority which is not borne out by the facts. But let's bring this back again. Bring it back again to Democrats. The Democrats have built their party platform on the positivist assumption, the scientist statist position. They have built their party platform on the premise of the fool who said in his heart, there is no God. They can claim to go to church. Regular church attendance, however, does not mean that you fear God or keep his commandments, which is the whole duty of man as is evidenced by the things which Democrats say and propose and proclaim and prohibit. By your fruits you shall know them. Well, judging by your fruits, you do not fear God, nor do you know him. You do not worship him in spirit or in truth. You are of your father the devil, actually. Every time you're talking about God's word, it is some vapid variation on hath God said, because you're a positivist. You believe that primitive people couldn't explain natural phenomena. They didn't have scientific tools and methods like we do now today. So they just said, God did it. And you look at the Bible, you look at God's word as being literature. It's religious studies to you. It's not theology in the sense of knowing who God is, knowing his will, knowing his interventions in the history of humanity, his character, his commandments, his promises, his faithfulness, his holiness. No. Theology to the positivists is just a subset of religious studies. Comparative religion has them saying, oh, yep, that's interesting. But it's trivia. It's trivia to them. It's not relational. It's not genuine. It's cold, dead, lifeless religion. Not religion that is holy and acceptable to God. And as such, that's why, that, that's why they never feel any special need to exegete their policy proposals from specific passages. They will use the most 
superficial of commandments to give what they are advocating for a veneer of respectability and piety. They honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. And so I say that, and as soon as I say that, I'm right back where we started with the whole question of playing games with language and being offensive, potentially. You know, it's one thing to be gentle. It's another thing to be unclear. We want to be gentle, but we can't afford to be unclear. We can't afford to be mumbling under our breath things. If you're going to go that way, just don't say anything at all. You know, the old adage is, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. I would say also, and before that, if you can't say something true and clear, then don't say anything at all. If you're going to mumble it, if you're going to so gild the lily that nobody is quite sure what you meant on the other end, they just feel good, there's nothing to do with it, nowhere to go with it, let's all just play the quiet game then. Can we do that? Better to be thought a fool, as my mother used to tell me, than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. And I could learn, I could learn to remember that, definitely. But it's important that we are very honest about the difference between Republicans and Democrats. You definitely have Democrats who can style themselves pro-life, although it's a wonder that they are Democrats in the first place if they are pro-life. You are at odds with your party platform in a very, very important area to your party. There are definitely Republicans, like for instance, the Scott Desjardins is alleged a scandal, and you have to put all kinds of qualifiers on that because allegations are easy to make, and they can be false allegations. An accusation does not guilt prove. But the allegation is from Scott Desjardins' ex-wife that he pressured her into getting abortions. Also from Scott Desjardins' mistress that he pressured her into getting an abortion. And if that's true, Christopher Hale is exactly right. Scott Desjardins, Republican or no, is completely unfit for office. He is complicit in murder. That's heinous. It's evil, wicked. You should not be making the laws that we all live under. You shouldn't be voting on the laws that we all live under. You are a lawbreaker. You will give an account to God. Again, if the allegations are true. But in my mind, it's plausible because people are people and people are sinful. People are not inherently good wickedness on the part of man is not the exception. It's the rule. Righteousness is the exception. And it's only possible by God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us by God's grace. So yeah, you can absolutely have a Republican who is just an evil, awful, no good, dirty, rotten, low down scoundrel and don't vote for him. But look at the platforms. I mean, really, truly. On the one hand, you have a party that is predicated on shaking hands and kissing babies, trying to protect babies, protect the unborn. On the other hand, you have a party which is predicated on shaking hands and killing babies, 
And because they've embraced the positivist conception of history, politics, morality, ethics, law, religion, culture, arts, they don't even bat an eye if you tell them that what they're doing is wrong, except to angrily insist that no, 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 they're on the right side of history. People have been getting abortions for all of recorded history. There have been archaeological digs under brothels that have found discarded skeletons of discarded babies. See? The ancient Romans did it. Must be okay. No. No. No, no, no. The ancient Romans also fed Christians to lions and beheaded them and crucified them. Nero reportedly used Christians as human torches in his gardens. He thought it was very funny. He thought he was doing art, actually, thereby. The fusion of art and politics and religion, he thought himself very clever. Is that all right, too? Well, but the animals, an animals sometimes abort their babies for survival. Oh, yeah, you know... What else animals sometimes do? Sometimes animals eat their young. Is that okay too? Is that, all, is that all right? Is that how we're gonna determine what is correct? Just normalize whatever we see in the animal kingdom? You have one party that believes that man is just an animal. And you have another party that is still not perfectly, not consistently enough, but still nonetheless holding to the view that man is created by God. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, unalienable rights, if you will. I think unalienable is a weird word, but I think that is the actual word used. Another question that was asked, and I think this is a, a very fitting question, was asked by a Republican of Biden's nominee to the Supreme Court, Ketanji Brown Jackson. When does human life begin? Can you tell me? Oh, you, you can't tell me on that one? Okay, all right. Well, how about this? How, when, legally speaking, does a human life come under the protection of the laws of this land? Ooh, that's a great question. That's a really good question. But of course, she doesn't feel any special need to answer that question. She doesn't want to answer that question. Democrats don't want her to answer that question. So here's an interesting thing. And I'm going to leave you with this real briefly. I'm going to read through this and then we'll call this a wrap on this episode. I did a quick search for when does life begin? When is human life considered to begin, to have its beginning and I found this link at princeton.edu. The page title is Life Begins at Fertilization. And I'll just read off some of these. It's a pretty long list of references, quotes, but I'll just read off a few. Quote, the following references illustrate the fact that a new human embryo, the starting point for a human life, comes into existence with the formation of the one-celled zygote. Quote, development of the embryo begins at stage one when a sperm fertilizes an 
oocyte, and together they form a zygote. End quote. England, Marjorie A., Life Before Birth, 2nd edition, England, Mosby Wolf, 1996, page 31. Quote, human development begins after the union of male and female gametes, or germ cells, during a process known as fertilization, or conception. Quote, fertilization is a sequence of events that begins with the contact of a sperm, spermatozoan, with a secondary oocyte, ovum, and ends with the fusion of their pronocli, the haploid nuclei of the sperm and ovum, and the mingling of their chromosomes to form a new cell. This fertilized ovum, known as a zygote, is a large diploid cell that is the beginning or primordium of a human being. End quote. More Keith L. Essentials of Human Embryology, Toronto, B.C. Decker, Inc., 1988, page 2. Quote, Embryo, the developing organism from the time of fertilization until significant differentiation has occurred when the organism becomes known as a fetus. End quote. Fetus, by the way, is just a Latin word that means infant. That's all it means. People use the word fetus as if it's something other than a baby. No, it's not a baby. It's a fetus. You, you realize that's just Latin for infant, right? Anyway. Cloning Human Beings, Report and Recommendation of the National Bioethics Advisory Commission, Rockville, Maryland, GPO 1997, Appendix 2. Quote, Embryo, an organism in the earliest stages of development in a man from the time of conception to the end of the second month in the uterus. End quote. Docs, Ida G. et al., the HarperCollins Illustrated Medical Dictionary, New York, Harper Perennial, 1993, page 146. Embryo. Here's another quote. The early developing fertilized egg that is growing into another individual of the species. In man, the term embryo is usually restricted to the period of development from fertilization until the end of the eighth week of pregnancy. Walters, William, and Singer, Peter, Eds, Test Two Babies, Melbourne, Oxford University Press, 1982, page 160. Quote, The development of a human being begins with fertilization, a process by which two highly specialized cells, the spermatozoan from the male and the oocyte from the female, unite to give rise to a new organism, the zygote. End quote. Langman, Jan, Medical Embryology, 3rd edition, Baltimore, Williams and Wilkins, 1975, page 3. And so on and so forth. And I'll put a link in the episode description here. You can check out the rest of this list of quotes, which makes it clear that life begins at fertilization. There's no denying it. There's no denying that it is life. There is no denying that it is human. The science is settled. Follow the science. Follow the science. Vote Republican. Be pro-life expecting to someday give an account to a holy and righteous God for what we have done with our fellow image bearers created by him for a purpose, on purpose, not accidentally, rescue those who are being led away to the slaughter. I'm going to leave it there, though, on a heavy note. So be it. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.
You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.